Lord, have your way today. Empower us to hear well what you're saying to us in Christ's name. Everybody say amen. Good morning, church. Afternoon. My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, especially those who are guests with us. Glad to have you here for the first time, or maybe you've been here for the last six months and haven't made us your home yet. Glad you made us your home at least for an hour today. It's good to have you. Turn with me over to the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to continue our series on stewardship and ask God to help us understand how we can best take care of the stuff he has given us. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 11 through 18. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 18. The title of the message is Stewardship, Remembering Him. Remembering Him. Moses is speaking, and he says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied, and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, verse 14, then then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of Flint. In the wilderness, he fed you manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end, verse 17. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand has made me this wealth. But... You shall remember the Lord your God, verse 18, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Lord, help as we study. Amen. Three things, memory of who he is. Secondly, memory of what he's done. And then thirdly, mindful of what he will do. Moses is giving the law to the children of Israel a second time. The first generation is now passed. Deuteronomy means second giving of the law. That's what the name Deuteronomy of the book means. And so we've got a second generation who has been birthed, obviously, by the first, but the first generation died in the wilderness. Those who came out of Egypt, those adults died. Everyone 20 years old and older passed away and now the second generation is coming up and Moses is doing everything he possibly can to make sure that they understand firsthand what they are to do rather than getting it from their parents. And so he's acting like they've never heard it, though they may have heard it many times. He is giving it to them as if they've heard it now for the first time. And he's letting them know this is how you conduct yourself when you come into the promised land. They are on the precipice of entering. Moses will not be going with them. Joshua will be leading them, but they are about to go in. And he said, it's important for you to make sure you are a steward of what God has has done and what he has said. Our memories are supposed to help us. They're supposed to serve us well. So that when we encounter something today that surprises us, we're able to fall back on what God did with that yesterday to help us with what he's going to do today. But sometimes our memory seems to sprout wings and fly away. When we encounter almost the exact same circumstance that God helped us, helped us conquer last year, we act like it's all brand new. 
And then what we're encountering today has to be so big that it, that it, 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 it demands a fear response from us rather than a faith response. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves cowering in front of stuff that God considers easy to conquer because our memory fails us. It doesn't serve us well. And so we, we need to be stewards of the things that God has done in our minds. Don't forget the Lord your God. How could a people do that? Some of these kids were older now. They were the elders in Israel. And they remembered when God allowed for darkness to be across the street in Egypt and in Goshen it was light. When the water turned to blood over in Egypt, but in Goshen it did not. When plagues of gnats came upon Egypt, so it was thick like, like, like fog and did not in Goshen. When frogs came up, and, 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 and covered the entire land, but not in Goshen across the street. They saw the Red Sea. This body of water that could not be moved, split in half, and people walk across on dry land. And they cover up on cue the enemies that were chasing them. They saw water come out of a rock. The reason a rock is a rock is that there is not enough room for anything else in it. It doesn't have enough room for air. We call that dirt. A rock's formation <laughs> requires a concentration of minerals to such a degree that it pushes out everything else in it. When a rock dissolves, it's called dirt. That means that there is space between the elements so that now oxygen can exist. The reason a rock is a rock because nothing can exist inside of it. And he brought water out of a rock. You find a hard place and you don't think there's any sustenance in it? Just believe him. You don't think there's any way water can be brought from your difficulty? Watch what he will do for you. They saw bitter waters turn sweet. Mad at Moses in the process. Mad. What kind of leader takes two million people and leads them to a pool? that they can't drink from. I mean, it's, it's tough enough to find water in the wilderness, but then you build up our hopes thinking that you led us to the right spot. And then we start drinking and we realize it's either gonna make us sick or kill us. And now we're doubly disappointed because not only do we not have water, but we thought we were gonna have water and the water that we have is bad. Moses, you are horrible. We need to appoint a new, they were always trying to figure out what to do with Moses. Give us a new leader that we might go back. What happens when God leads you? God. Because Moses was following God. There was, a, there was a cloud that would appear in front of the people of Israel and lead them where they were supposed to go. I don't know what it was like. Maybe like a, a figure of a tornado. I don't know, but it was, it was tangible. You could see it. And Moses was following the cloud. And the people were following Moses. He could go no place other than the cloud. Let him. The cloud led him to the bitter waters. What happens when God leads you to people who don't like you? What happens when God leads you to folk that will gossip about you? You, you can't be mad at God. What happens when God leads you through your leader, your pastor, to a place where you are now in a small group and everybody's talking about you? Mm. Oh, that church, I don't like that church no more. Mm, 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 mm. You start getting mad at everybody else, but you forget that God led you. You forget some stuff. Moses said, find me a stick. He found a stick. Moses threw the stick in the water. 
and the bitter waters became sweet. Now, I'm a biologist. No, no, I'm not a biologist. I'm a biology major. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> Sticks are not catalysts for any chemical reaction to happen in water whereby bitter things become sweet, nor are they chemical reactions, cause a chemical reaction themselves, in order to make bitter water sweet. It doesn't happen like that. This was a miracle. But see, it's nonetheless a miracle when you can find your cross and throw it into bitter circumstances. Wow. Take that stick of the cross and throw it into your horrible relationships. Throw it into the difficult moments that you find yourself in the context of his leading you to his people, leading you to the place to drink, and watch how his provision will be this, not to find waters that are palatable to you, but take the waters that are bitter and make them sweet for you. These people, some of them saw all that. How do you forget? How do you forget? Just like you forget. Has he not done great things for you? How about the other two-thirds of you? Has he not done great things for you? What is the most difficult thing in ter- for us, a 10 in terms of difficulty? Saving us from our sin. Our sin had condemned us. We had the sentence of death pronounced, and God delivered us from the surety of death, eternal death. That's miracle number one. And then it, it, it's, it's all downhill from there because that was the biggest. And then you talk about provision, you talk about protection, you talk about all the, wow. But yet, when we encounter the latest difficulty, it's like he didn't do anything yesterday. Fear just fills our soul. Doubt, unbelief, cynicism. Well, I know you do it for Pastor Brett, but I don't know if you're going to do it for me. God wants us to remember some things. Our memory should serve us, and we need to be stewards of our memory. We see here that he said that there are some things that will help you remember my person. He said, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God by not observing His commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes. Commandments, ordinances, and statutes. He said, you will be able to understand who I am personally by what I say. Now, you have to understand the context in which Moses is speaking. These people didn't have any Bibles. Moses was writing it. There was no Bible. And so they were in Egypt before they came out, and they were just a people who were the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they knew there was a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they didn't know him very well. There was nothing to read about him yet. And so what God was mercifully doing was allowing Moses to chronicle some things that would help his people understand who he was. Remember these things. I'm writing them down for you. There wasn't a compilation like we have today which really gives us no excuse. This is why you need to read your Bible every day because it is the letter that lets you know who he is. It is the information necessary to know about his person, his character, his love, his mercy, his kindness. 
His, 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 his unwillingness to judge and give you the consequences for that which you've done wrong. He is a good God. But if you don't read about him, you will not know him. Understand me, he says, by what I've said. And I don't know why we are so reluctant to read our Bibles regularly. We're on social media more than we read our Bibles. We listen to CNN more than we read our Bibles. The Washington Post, USA Today, name it. We are more informed about what happens in the world than we are about who God is. And I'm not opposed to being informed about what needs to happen in the world. What's going on? I need that in order to know how to pray. But I'm not going to let it take away from my time in the Word. Because my God gives me perspective about that which I read out there. Don't forget me. And you'll be able to remember me best if you understand what I said. My commandments, my ordinances, and my statutes. Commandments are those 10, and there are a couple others in there. But those 10 help us understand how much he loves us. And, and he's, so, he's so kind to let us know what we shouldn't do. Don't commit adultery. That's going to hurt you and everybody else around you. Don't covet. Don't desire that which is somebody else's. Don't steal. Don't murder. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Make sure you keep the Sabbath. Don't have any other gods before me. Make sure you don't build any vain idols. Honor your mom and dad. These things work any place, at any time, with any people. They are wonderful things that express his personality and care for mankind so that mankind can live best. Most of them are do-nots. There are two or three that are proactive. Honor mom and dad. Make sure you keep the Sabbath. Uh, the idea of have no other gods before me is, is kind of yes, proactive, and no, don't. But most of them are negative. Why? Because we are prone and bent toward doing wrong. And God's saying, here, I want you to know what wrong looks like. That's wrong. Don't do that. That's love. A father expresses himself best, or a mother, in who they are by how they instruct their children. Now, there are other ways, and we're going to get to that with respect to provision. But instruction allows the child to know dad best or mom best. This is what they think about life. All of us have had some degree of, of good parenting, which got us here. Some of us more good parenting than others. But everybody who, who has been parented has been parented imperfectly. And so you've got to overcome something. When I look at my children, love them all. They all love God. They're all trying to live right, all trying to do the right thing. Some of them are in ministry. It's a lot of fun being in my house. But every once in a while, I just have to feel, I feel like I have to tell them, sorry, it's me. You really deserved a better dad. But I could only give you what I had. And I tried to get as much as I could while I was serving God as I possibly could, but I didn't get it as quick as I should have got it. And so you didn't get as much of what you should have got as you should have got. I'm sorry, it's me. And the reason I didn't have what I needed when I needed it the most was because my dad didn't have it. He was a wonderful father. Never missed a football game of mine. I mean, from fifth grade all the way through college. Never missed. 
He even flew out with a crop duster airplane to my little school at Bethany College when I played because they didn't have an airport. He had to land in some kind of crop dusting field just to see me play, and I was only playing special teams. I got about six plays. And my dad flew out in order to see his son play six plays. I was blown away. My daddy loved me. But communication was not a strong suit. And so most of my life, I, I just kind of wondered, who is my dad? Because I don't know how he thinks. I, I don't know what he feels. I don't. He didn't instruct me very much. He just kind of let me figure it out. I don't blame him for it. I did wonder why he didn't. But I got an answer when I spent time with his dad, my grandfather. My grandfather was dying of pancreatic cancer in 1985. And so I went down to be with him the last two weeks of his life. Had the privilege of leading him to the Lord on his deathbed. Beautiful. But in those two weeks, I got to know him better than ever. And at the end of the two weeks, I sat there and a light bulb went off in my head. I get it. I know why my dad's the way my dad is. Because his dad was this way. And all of a sudden, I realized my dad got it honestly. He wasn't trying to withhold. He just did not know. And that's why I've got holes in my soul. Because my dad wasn't able to fill those spots of vacancy. I needed help, but he needed help. And this is why it's important to get born all over again so you can get a new daddy. Because then your father in heaven begins to fill those spots that your heavenly father couldn't. But the best way that a child can learn who their dad is or who their parent is, is by communication. And my dad didn't do a good job. He he did some things. I I, I really grasped some things. He kind of communicated more by um, uh, phrases, really impactful phrases. So one in particular was if he said something that seemed a little outlandish. I was a kid. I mean, little kid, like four or five. And he would take me to work with him every once in a while and that was a lot of fun. And we'd go and get a hamburger down the street and then some ice cream. He owned an ice cream shop, kind of a conflict of interest for a dentist, but it was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun for me, that's for sure. But he, 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 he would, we were driving down the road one day, and he told me something. I don't even know what it was that was just out there. And I just said, Dad, really? And he quipped, um, boy. If I tell you a grasshopper's a horse, get your saddle. <laughs> End of conversation. That was it. You, you, no more questions. You, yes, sir, I believe. <laughs> but that was my dad. Non communicative. Kind of a John Wayne type, strong, just follow my lead, figure it out as you go. And so I wound up as an adult trying to figure out who is he? I know he's more than what I know, but I don't, I don't even know that much. God wants you to know who he is by how he talks. And many of you do not know him well because you don't listen. You don't get in his word. And you're not, you're not learning by his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes. Commandments were those ten and, and a few more. The ordinances were judgments. 
things that have been rendered when somebody didn't exactly know how the command was supposed to apply to a certain situation. So there was a man named Zelophehad who had four daughters. And as the people of Israel were about to go into the promised land, the land was going to be divided up by clans and tribes and then by families. Generally, it went that the land was, was divided up on the basis of the male leader of the family. Well, Zelophehad was the leader of his family, and he only had four daughters. He had no sons. So they came and said, our family is not going to get our inheritance because we have no male heir. Is it possible that you can make an exception to the rule here because it doesn't make any sense that we would lose our family inheritance? Moses said, absolutely, that's very good. Reflects the heart of God. And Moses said, from now on, if a man dies and he has no sons, then the daughters will inherit that which is his. Here we have a judgment that needed to be heeded by all of Israel so that if anybody had a question about what it looked like, this was it. And then you had statutes. Statutes were customs, things that were important in order to keep society together uh, but may not transfer to any other place because this is how Israel did what it did. It was customary for them. So in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 22, I think, there's a law that says you must, if you build a house, now they didn't have any houses yet. They were all in tents living in the wilderness. They were about to enter the promised land in a few months. Moses would not take them, Joshua would. But when they got into the promised land, then they would build houses. And God said, when you build a house, this is, this is how much God cares about you. He's talking about architecture and construction of your home. He's not talking about morality. He's just talking about architecture and construction of your home for the reasons I'm about to give. He says, when you build a house and you've got a roof on it, make sure you put a fence, a parapet, around the roof. You think, what, what for? Well, people would throw parties, and there was no air conditioning. So when you get 40, 50 people in a stone house, because they didn't build with wood back then. Wood was for chairs and tables and windows. A stone house, it can get a little musty up in there, <laughs> especially in July. It can get really musty. And so what they do is they would build a staircase to the top of the roof and support the roof with other stuff so they could actually party on the roof. God was interested in how people partied. I could speak more on that. <laughs> but he said, when you get up there, I want you to make sure that nobody falls off. So build a roof. Build a fence around your roof. That's how much God cared. You get to know a little bit about him and that he's that particular in his concern for mankind, his people. He doesn't want people, when they get a little tipsy, falling off and dying because they lost their balance. Things like this allow us to understand the mercy and grace of our God and how he cares for his people. Read his word. You will find how he cares for you that way. Are you listening to me? Secondly, he says it's important that you understand who I am by what I've done. Remember these things. Be a steward of your memories. How he protected them in the wilderness. This was not a safe place. There was a reason people didn't choose to live in the wilderness because it was dangerous. Everybody chose to live someplace else. They were in the spot where nobody else wanted to be. It wasn't fertile. You had difficulty with water. You had fiery serpents. You had all kind of stuff. This was the most dangerous spot in the Middle East for these folks, other than just being in the desert, which was the cousin of the wilderness. And God says, I'm going to provide for you in the most dangerous spot. You can have comfort that God can fix whatever environment you're in 
And if he does not, at least fix you so that you can go through it being unscathed. He is like that. He said, I protected you. When there were fiery serpents, I protected you. And every day you need to remember, even if you're not cognizant of what happened yesterday, thank you, Lord, for that bus not hitting me. Thank you for that disease not coming upon me. I am so grateful, God, that you did not allow me to, to, to run into that thing or encounter that. Lord, that I have been living in relative peace. I praise you. Because there are fiery serpents in this world. Don't think the enemy likes you. He's got a contract out on your life. The devil hates you. Why does he hate you? Because you look too much like God. Even though you don't look a whole lot like him. None of us do. We have so much, so many flaws, so much baggage that we carry regularly. It's hard for people to tell that we follow him at all. But the enemy has better eyes than most. And he can tell that there's something down on the inside. Listen, he can see the destiny in an infant. A child who has said nothing, done nothing. Try to kill him. Whether it be the babies who were in Egypt when destiny and deliverance was right around the corner and Pharaoh said, let's start killing the male babies. Or whether it be with Christ when Herod put out an edict and said, kill this one who would be the ruler. The enemy sees stuff that mankind does not and he hates you and don't think that you're going to go through this life without battling. And you've got to know that every day that you rise and you breathe and you're able to have hope and a sense of purpose, that it's a mercy of God that you weren't taken out yesterday. Mercy of God. And that doesn't even bring into account all the sins for which you should be taken out. That's just the enemy's attack. Let's face it, all of us have done enough wrong whereby we should be judged 50 times over, at least we have messed up. We have intentionally hurt people. We've said things that were wrong. We got mad at God and, and accused him in our own lives for not being attentive to us, to our, to, uh, to our progress. We've done so many things wrong, we, can, we can't even count all the stuff we've done wrong. Not to mention the stuff we should have did right, poor English, stuff we should have did right that we didn't do. So if you count the sins of commission and the sins of omission, how high is the mountain of our, our guilt? And yet we are not suffering for that which we've done. Every day, you need to get up and say, thank you for that bus not hitting me. I'm grateful you have protected me. And then he's provided for you. It's not just that he saved you from judgment or attack. He, He's provided for you in the process. And the way God likes to provide is that generally he does it in, 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 a, in a manner that allows you to progress faster with the stuff he gives you in the provision and that he increases your character in the process. So it's not just here, I want to give you this because I love you. It's here, I want to give you this because I love you and I want you to grow up. So it says he provided for them by, by bringing them through the fiery serpents and bringing water from a rock and providing wilderness food called manna that just appeared every morning and, and did that for them that he might test them and in the end do good by them. 
So, so most of God's provision is that which comes with a test. No amens by either service on that either. The ones before you, no amens on that. Most of God's provision comes, thank you very much, you're writing. Most of God's provision comes with a test. Why? Because we're slow on the uptake. We just are. It takes us a long time to learn a new trick. And most of us are, you know, we only, we're only going to get 70, 80, 90 years out of this thing. That's a blink. And so because we're slow, we don't have a whole lot of time, God has to squeeze as much stuff into one moment as he possibly can so that we can benefit the greatest. And he can get the most juice out of us possible so that the kingdom can advance. And so he combines provision with testing so that we can grow up and receive. Testing is no fun. It's always difficult. Red Sea moment. Here they had 10 plagues that did not hit them in Egypt. They come out of Egypt. They come to the Red Sea. They're there at the Red Sea in front of them. There are hills on either side, and all of a sudden they see this cloud of dust behind them. And Egypt has decided, we made a mistake. We need to bring these people back. What were we thinking when we let them go? And God moves the pillar of cloud that was leading them in the rear now so that it separates the, the Egyptians from the Israelites. And then the people do not have the presence of mind. They forgot They don't have the presence of mind. Their memory did not serve them well. And they begin to say, Moses, we need to appoint a new leader. It would be better for us to go back and eat leek soup rather than to die here. We would be glad slaves rather than to perish. You're a horrible leader. What kind of leader leads two million people to a box canyon? Didn't you think these folk were coming after us again? What's wrong with you? You are horrible, horrible, horrible. Like Charles Barkley, terrible, just terrible, terrible, (laughs) terrible. Start talking about, and remember, God's leading them. They got to follow this cloud. And Moses calls out to God, what do I do? God said this to Moses, why are you talking to me? What? Meaning, there's only one, one way to go. There's only one way to go forward and you know that so figure it out at some point the 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 rudimentary prayers that we used to pray about God come help he wants us to become so mature that we can steward the moment and not have to ask him it says in Moses after God said don't cry out to me figure it out took his staff looked at the Red Sea and said move please move and the Red Sea Like Moses was supposed to have known that beforehand. I don't know how, but he figured it out in a hurry. The Red Sea parted. Not only did it part, the wind was so strong that it dried up all of the surface of the ground. The sediment of the deep. It dried it all up. And generally, when a body of water is like a sea, The sediment is wet for a good 10 to 20 feet down. God dried that thing up like that. And the children of Israel walked across on dry ground. All the people who were crying for Moses' head, can you imagine their tenor once they got to the other side? Uh, Mo, listen, about that moment over there. I just, hey, I don't know what I was thinking. My bad. My bad. You the man. You are the man. I'm with you. I'm me. You, me. <laughs> and 
God was providing deliverance, but it was a moment of testing. The people of Israel should have said, I'm ready. (laughs) He didn't bring us out here to die. He did not bring us out here to die. So I know he's about to do something great. Every time there is a moment of provision, there's usually a moment where you have an opportunity to doubt. And God wants to produce a couple of things, your provision and your your, your character, so that you can grow into it and become a greater steward of that which he has given you. And then lastly, what he's going to do. Be mindful about what he's going to do. He said, what I'm about to do is bless you beyond your wildest dreams. I've blessed you with deliverance. I've blessed you with provision. But the kind of provision you're going to have in the promised land is different than the kind of provision you have here. He said, your herds are going to multiply. Your flocks are going to multiply. Your silver and gold are going to multiply. And then if they did not get that, he said this, and everything that you have multiplies. Make sure you remember that I am the one who is giving you the ability to multiply that stuff. Don't you forget me and think somehow that the power of your might and strength and your ingenuity, your wisdom got you that bonus. Your excellent pitch allowed for the contract to be signed. Now, there's no question that we need to participate with him in whatever we're doing in order to prove our competency to humanity. And so there is a work and there is an effort that you need to lend to the process of progress. But that work and that effort were all inspired by and given by him. You would not be able to have the ideas you have had he not given them to you. You would not be able to have the strength that you have had you not been protected from all those diseases that wanted to come upon you and afflict you. Everything that you have has been given to you by him. And when you begin to acquire that which he blesses you, the things in multiplication that he wants to give you, it's important that you remember you are the one who has allowed me the privilege of increasing. Why? So that I can advance your cause in the earth. I am the one who has given you the power to make wealth that you may establish my covenant in the earth as it is to this day and was to your forefathers. The reason God blesses you is so that you can figure out how to establish his kingdom in your environment more than you ever have before. That's why he's given you resources to provide for your family while you provide for the kingdom. Those orphans need your help. The ones we have in Kenya, they need your help. We've got Yorkshire Elementary down in Manassas that we sponsor so many things. We give, we're, we're, we're buying shoes for every kid that needs them at Yorkshire Elementary in Manassas. They need your help. We help out people that don't have any resources to buy food with Western Fairfax uh, Center over there. They need your help. We give. There are so many opportunities to make sure that you are helping to establish his covenant in the earth. But if you forget... If your memory does not serve you, the Lord will mercifully begin to shut off the spigot. Ah, he won't turn it off completely. He'll just bring it down to a drip. Used to have a flow. Now it's a drip. You'll be provided for, but not like regular. Not like it could be. Because you forgot. And let your memory serve you well. That the Lord is God Almighty and he cares about you deeply.
And it is he who has protected you. It is he who has delivered you. It is he who has blessed you. And you need to be a steward of those moments so that when you encounter your next, you are able to manage it well and see greater victory than just God's mercy. That you're able to partner with him and in partnering with him, grow through the process so that you can now bring others in the wake of your leadership into a greater sense of purpose and provision. Let's pray. Father, I'm asking for your grace and mercy. Help us as a people to grow into what you want us to grow into, to become better stewards of your will and never forget you, O oh God. Never forget you.